This is Comic Geek Speak, episode 1749, Retro Movie Review, Spider-Man the Movie. Fly! Up, up, and away, Web! Shazam! Go! Go! Go, Web, go! I'm Ian Levenstein. I'm Matt. I'm Adam Murdo. And I'm Chris Everly. I don't think they could use Shazam in a film today if it was a Marvel movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're not Superman, you know. (laughs) That's right. Uh, we return to the retro movie review, gentlemen. Yes, and uh, it's a it's a timely one considering all the uh, all the hoo ha going around Spider Man of late. Sure is. Yep. Yep. One of a couple of very good and uh, timely topical suggestions of yours, Ian. So thank you for uh, bringing us to where we are here. My pleasure, sir. My pleasure. And uh, for the listeners' sake, uh, if they want a full in depth moment-by-moment commentary track of Spider-Man the movie almost 13 years ago to the day. (laughs) October 6th, 2006, Comic Geek Speak released a a special episode for Spider-Man the movie with the dearly departed Jamie D. Matt, who's on this episode, and didn't even remember he was on that one because it's been 13 years. (laughs) Uh, Shane and uh, and I believe I think I think Peter if I remember correctly I, I, I think, think Peter's I on yeah. Peter, yeah yep and that, <laughs> it's a sad state when I am the elder statesman uh, <laughs> on an episode <laughs> yes you're the only incumbent here <laughs> and I didn't remember <laughs> hey it's been thirteen years man Come it's thirteen on. years ago man take it easy <laughs> CGS was a much different beast in those days yep. Sure was, but uh, you can go ahead and listen to that if you want a moment by moment breakdown. We ain't doing that here. We're doing we're doing uh, general impressions and how the movie has aged and matured over the years, and our thoughts on it, like we do most movie reviews. So uh, that's our bag this time around. Yep. We might as well start with Matt since he was on the commentary episode. <laughs> Uh, All right. Matt, uh, thoughts and impressions on uh, the very first uh, iteration of movie Spider-Man? Uh, this, I'm, I saw this ten times in the theater. <laughs> At the time, this was the most I had ever seen a movie. Well, yeah, this is the most I've ever seen a movie in the theater. I, I mean, we, we can go on this a little bit. And if you listen to the, the top five of our first eight, half of our, our lives uh, thing. But Spider-Man's always kind of been important to me. And I remember by the point, the time this movie came out, I was like at a completely different place from when I first saw Spider-Man and Amazing Friends, the cartoon. And I remember sitting there watching and thinking back to when I first saw Spider-Man, just that experience of, oh, my God. And just that, that kind of innocence that I that I that I had lost at, at the, that point when this movie came out of thinking that, you know, the, the, the nerdy good guy does win to some extent at the end. And, the, and like, there are good guys and there are bad guys. 
um, and that there isn't all this gray in the world type of thing. And I just remember that getting that from this movie. And I just I saw it too many t- times because I wanted to take people uh, to see it because because I loved it so much. And um, to me, it's still the best uh, Spider-Man movie. I haven't seen Amazing Spider-Man two, but out of the, uh, the live action ones that I've seen, <laughs> that's what I hear. Um, yeah. This to me is still the best. Fair enough. Fair enough. Murd, your thoughts? Uh, well, I revisited this one for the first time in a long time. Um, I can say safely that I did not see this one ten times in the theater. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I can I can remember seeing it. Uh, I, I might have seen it twice, but uh, more I think about it, the more I think I just went to see it once with Matt one of his ten times. And that, 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 was, that was kind of enough. But it was, it was a big deal at the time. It was good for several thrills. Dragging it out of my uh, video cabinet... Uh, to watch late last night, I, I find it it may be I don't know, your, your mileage may vary. For me, it didn't age altogether well. It, it's not as though it uh, doesn't hold up at all. There's uh, certain moments that are still you know very memorable for all the right reasons. Others that are very memorable for all the wrong reasons. Uh, a lot of the CGI effects, uh, for a good example, are looking a very herky jerky now. Uh, you know, 16 years later, or 17 years later, I mean. There's a few moments of genuine emotion that still kind of get me right here. There's I know what Matt means about that sense of wonder from having experienced Spider-Man as a child and seeing it again up there in the big screen. It's regardless of how well it holds up uh, in terms of effects or anything else, and or how well it compares to other takes on the character and other media that have come along since then. Um, and I don't think I would actually call this one my favorite Spider-Man movie either. For my own, I think Into the Spider-Verse probably tops it. Yeah. Uh, for that matter, Spider-Man 2, its immediate sequel, tops it for me. But it, it's an interesting, if nothing else, it's an interesting time capsule insert for a couple of different reasons. It came along at an important evolutionary juncture uh, for the superhero genre in other media um, as it's leaving behind what might be called like the Burton Batman era. And uh, it, it's taking a couple of important steps in the direction of the uh, cinematic superhero movies that are so ubiquitous uh, here in the second decade of the 21st century. Yeah, but we're going to have a lot of uh, interesting points to make and a lot of uh, uh, dis- uh, good discussion to be had. <laughs> that's, that's my initial remark. Well, my, my, my remarks are uh, somewhat similar to yours. Uh, I remember... I remember seeing it for the first time uh, at the uh, at the UA Sheep's Head movie theater in Brooklyn uh, with my uh, my then girlfriend uh, and a bunch of friends, and sitting down and trying to get into it, but those around me weren't enjoying it, and I think that may have clouded my my viewing of the proceedings. You know, they, they weren't getting into it, and uh, I it was very hard for me to in that aspect. So I saw it a second time. Um, and uh, the second time I saw it, I enjoyed it a lot more. I could say I may have seen it one more time since I watched it tonight. And watching it tonight, I, I have feelings similar to Murd in a lot of aspects. Um, this is, in a way, you could say this is part of the the silver age of superhero movies. Um, mm-hmm. in, in the way that you know, it's it's aged well in some ways, but not in others, um, and and it really, you know, in other ways, vaulted us to where we are now in the modern age. Like we would not have it without this movie, and I see a lot of tropes of Silver Age Spider-Man in this movie as well, which in some ways are a positive, in some ways are a negative. I think that this is probably the most comic book accurate Aunt May 
that we've gotten in any of the movies. Definitely. Uh, the J. Jonah Jameson is top notch. I absolutely adore him in every single way, and I'm glad that J.K. Simmons is continuing to play the role in many other ways. Yep, it, it's 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 all him. Well, I mean, hey, I'm not even. I couldn't even. I, I, it's possible that I'm not even talking about the movies because he's played him in uh, in cartoons and in uh, video games as well. Uh, so he he's continued to play the role in many 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 other ways, and I appreciate that. But Spider Man himself. And those directly around him never really worked for me. I think Tobey Maguire was not the right choice for for Spider-Man. He's an all right Spider-Man, but his acting for Peter is so hammy at times. And while others may appreciate that, it just never really worked for me. I think that uh, the James Franco, uh, Harry Osborn, uh, he's doing his best impression of his good friend Jay Burchell throughout a lot of this movie um, and, and, and uh, you know, trying to be like as meek as possible and, and uncomfortable and it works at times, but other times it just comes off as almost like creepy even around his friends and, you know, you could say that that's what he was going for and, and so be it, but uh, that Power Rangers mask on Green Goblin I <laughs> is, is, is so hard to get past and it's so hard for an amazing actor to emote in that in that mask, you know, like the 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 villainy the villainy comes through, you know, in 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 a lot of ways. But uh, Willem Willem Dafoe deserves better than that damn mask, <laughs> you know. He he acts his heart off. He does, and and he uh, he sort of does like a cross between the Joker and a Green Goblin, and and makes it work. I love the bits with him and you know the mirror and what have you. But uh, overall that mask is a hindrance that's very hard to get past. And it's, the movie's got some positives, but it definitely has some negatives for me, and I see them even more so, especially also in the dialogue at times, uh, and some jokes that have not aged well in, in, in today's world, um, as I view this, you know, in 2019. But uh, I appreciate it for what it is, definitely. And Chris? All right, so, as you all know, and many listeners know, I'm a lifelong, passionate fan of Spider-Man and his world. So when this film came out, obviously I was salivating with anticipation. I knew Sam Raimi was a was a strong director. Uh, I was excited by the casting, especially Willem Dafoe. And I'm still excited by his casting as I watched watch the movie many times over the years. Other casting choices I'm no longer excited by in that film. But his was perfect. And I, admittedly, I didn't watch the movie today because I just didn't have time. But I've seen it so many times that I know it virtually by heart. And I, I, I agree with a lot of the points made in general. Uh, I don't agree with Ian, though, on Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker. I think he's actually a stronger Peter Parker. I thought he was a pretty poor Spider-Man. Fair. Um, and I'll get into why I think that. I don't think it's totally his fault. It's also the writing. But overall, and just my initial comments, I still adore this movie. I like how you talked about the Silver Age there, Ian. I'm granted you were talking about in terms of the, the evolution of superhero films, mm-hmm. but what I've treasure the most about this film, and I, and I think this aspect of it still holds up, is that it captures the Silver Age feel of Spider-Man, oh, yeah. the, comic, the comic book character, because Sam Raimi was clearly a devotee of the Silver Age of Spider-Man. And when I saw the movie the first time, it struck me very quickly, like, okay, that's what he's trying to do here. And I appreciated it all the more, and I continue to appreciate it for that reason. There are elements of it that, that don't hold up well, as Murray pointed out. Some of that's just technology has, has evolved in terms of movie making, there are other elements that I think are as strong as ever, if not 
stronger than some of the stuff they've done recently, which we can also talk about. The one glaring thing I'll mention just briefly now, because it, it didn't strike me until recent years, and I, and I actually like her as an actress. Kirsten Dunst is woefully miscast as Mary Jane Watson. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Woeful. Like, she had no business being in that film. And I, and I like her as an actress, but she was the wrong actress for that role. Yeah. Um, and and I, I didn't really – that didn't really strike because I was – you know, the first time I was like, oh, it's Spider-Man, and, and it's, it's – I was so in awe of it, and that was the, the case for you know quite a few years. But in more recent years, as I watched, I, I look at it and I go, "That's that is that is not Mary Jane. It is simply not Mary Jane Watson." Mm-hmm. That for me is is one of the elements of the film that does not hold up. And the other, of course, is just okay. It was two thousand two, but they could have had a better Green Goblin outfit like that. <laughs> that that I mean, Defoe was tremendous. They almost his, did, Chris. His, they What's almost, that? They almost did. There's videos online of a of a prosthetic mask that they were that they were toying with that would have had a moving mouth that would have had like a much more comic accurate mask in general um, that they decided not to go with. I guess possibly because they thought it would look too silly at the time. And you've mentioned <laughs> and, and you've mentioned that before, Ian. Yeah. And again, his Norman Osborn is terrifying. Oh, yeah. He really understood the essence of that character and the madness of that character. Um, and we'll get into that as we move along. But there was just, you know, part of it, again, is just the time the movie was made. They had certain limitations. And I think part of it was just some, something, some things involving the script. But again, the, these are quibbles. I still love the film. And, and I, I'm really looking forward to discussing it. I would definitely say it's, it's like what Superman the movie is. Was for Superman movies, it's it, for, for me. All the Superman movies since you compare to to that movie. Uh, in the same token, Spider Man has just that first movie has become like the defining Spider movie. That it it there's aspects of the original Superman movie that that just don't hold up by today. Some of the language and the dialogue and stuff like that. I feel this movie is, that that I would say that is accurate technology wise. Some of the things that just happen, you're just like yeah, for that time, yeah. Nowadays, no. But I can fall back to. It's a different type of feel movie than what we've gotten since Raimi is no longer directing um, a Spider-Man movie. Oh, I did want to ask before we get too far. Did anyone see the teaser before it was pulled from the theater? I did. Oh, yes. No, I did not. I remember being at uh, the year before watching uh, Tomb Raider and seeing it and thinking this is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And then it was pulled. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously because of the, the tragedy of 9-11 right, but yeah. um, I thought and then they said it was good because nothing in that teaser was even in the movie at all right mm. yeah they, they, they had made that basically uh, just to tease uh, yeah as, a, as opposed to having it be like a, a set piece for the movie itself yeah I'm surprised they haven't continued with that uh, for in teasers to kind of giving you just something that's not really in the movie well they have in to... some ways uh, Deadpool did that uh, with that uh, that that teaser that involved uh, Stan Lee uh, for uh, I think for what was it Deadpool 2 uh, uh, oh yeah. yeah in the alley yeah in the alley exactly yeah yeah so I, I guess it just completely depends on the movie whether or not they plan to do that or not uh, by the yeah. way, but Chris, I just I just posted in the chat for our uh, for our Skype uh, what that uh, Green Goblin mask almost looked like, the prototype that they, that they, that they were uh, uh, toying with. So if you want to just click on that link real quick, you'll see what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a much a, yeah. a, a much a much greener mask with uh, with orange eyes and uh, and a mouth that actually moved. But what's important here, and I I I prefer what they have here is that. 
you, what makes the Green Goblin – I've said this before. makes the Green Goblin a frightening villain mm-hmm. is that you know that it's a man yeah. and that he – and that – forgive my – excuse my French – that he's batshit crazy. OK, yeah. and you need to see the, his teeth and his mouth moving and you need to know that, wow, this is a human being. This is not just some actual like supernatural creature because yeah. that makes it all the more frightening that he's, he's a person. And with, well, did, with it. Go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say, didn't that work out in Amazing Spider-Man 2 with Harry? Oh, God, no. <laughs> OK, I just kidding. I saw a little Kevin told me you got to see this clip because uh, <laughs> we were Lord, laughing. At it. Lord, no, we it, can talk about that later. But th- that. <laughs> There's so many in that. Oh, God. We can just stick to this. I just wanted to throw that out there because I know they tried doing something similar to what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, they well they also uh, they almost went entirely maskless with that, and and, yeah. that, and that that was the problem more than anything else. Well, there were many problems with that movie. Also, the fact that uh, yes, that they turned Electro into a Superman three villain, which <laughs> he was very Richard Pryor in that movie. And, it's, mm. and it still disappoints me very, very much that they decided to go that route with him. But that's a whole other story. You mean you yeah. weren't you weren't taken in by the him being electrified by eels? I sure as heck wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! But on to discussing a much better film. Yeah. So can, can, can we discuss the actors that you forget were in this? Uh, you know, at the beginnings of their careers, the fact that uh, Joe Manganiello, uh, yep, Flash, is is Flash Gordon in this. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, Flash Thompson in this. Uh, Flash Gordon would be interesting. Uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Banks as Betty Brant. Yes. I have no yep. idea. And yep. and uh, who takes Spider Man's name at the wrestling match is Octavia Spencer. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. I I had completely forgotten that. That must have been one of her first uh, acting roles. Before the bone saw is ready. <laughs> Sorry, <I had> to... <laughs> oh yeah, dig it. Snap into a slim gym. <laughs> you know, I don't know if, if, if I've told you guys before. They made any talk about any releasing information about Spider-Man Four uh, that Raimi would have directed, mm-hmm. and they said that Bruce Campbell would have been Mysterio. Yes, Kevin and I were having a conversation about how they should do Mysterio because Bruce Campbell's been all of them, and just make him Quentin Beck. That because of that incident, that kind of ruined that whole wrestling thing. Yeah. And he was able to find out the identity and just shadow Peter throughout the, the next couple of movies for that reveal. And then, lo and behold, they told you Amazing Spider-Man 4 would have had Bruce Campbell as Mysterio in there. Mm-hmm. So we were just taken back that that was actually something that was could have easily have been worked into the stories. Mm-hmm. That's a very good call. Did you and Kevin ever discuss uh, Hoffman, um, you know, played by Sam Raimi's brother Ted, uh, like the little office boy in J. Jonah Jameson's Daily Bugle staff? Uh, maybe he could have turned out to be the big man eventually, like Frederick Foswell? Uh, we, we never talked about him, although every time I saw him, he just reminded me of um, – so Sam Raimi directed Darkman, and he played kind of a – not similar character, but like a new guy into uh, – uh, oh, shit, now I forget who the villain was – Robert G. Uh, Durant's uh, gang, he was, and he he looks exactly the same. And that was that movie was done like ten years before this. Hmm. But um, but the, every time I see him in saw him in those movies, that's that's the role that I thought of him as. And, and, and the other the other throwaway uh, that I <coughs> that I noticed uh, right when we first meet J. Jonah Jameson at the Bugle, uh, Robbie is talking about how uh, they've been trying to get photos of Spider Man for a while now, and that Eddie. <laughs> Eddie. Has been has been trying to get them. 
and I completely missed that the first the first few times that I saw this movie. And and uh, you know, you nice, have to mention that there's also a throwaway Doctor Strange comment as well. Uh, or is that the second the second one? That's the second yeah. one. Okay, second I'm one. sorry. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's well, uh, you know a nice Easter egg to throw in there. Well, also mm-hmm. that this is actually the first time we have some type of a um, crossover universe because as Mary Jane in the second one, not to really get too far on that one, but as she's running through the park, you have Thomas Jane. Uh, dyed black hair wearing all black as you know essentially frank castle who turns around and watches as she runs past them so to some extent you could say there's a punisher appears wait, wait. And, uh, are you serious i don't remember that at all absolutely he's actually acknowledged it as well somehow he just wound up on set that day um but if you if you huh. watch when she's running through the park to go meet up with peter it, it's, it's a little fuzzy but you can see a guy as she's running past who, who's wearing all black, he just turns his head back towards her, and that's Thomas Jane. Oh, wow. So that's been disputed over the years, whether or not it's actually him or not. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, 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 sorry, at least according to IMDb, it's been proven <laughs> false over the years. But frankly, I believe your version, I'm going with it. <laughs> well, because uh, I just sworn he acknowledged it, that I read somewhere that he acknowledged he, he just happened to be there. It's possible. Yeah. That day. It's certainly possible. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, IMDb is never trusted for anything because they have, uh, you know, <laughs> like, like, did you know that Arnold Schwarzenegger was uh, was meant to play blank for, like, every other movie? So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So, so let, let, how about we talk about the costume a little bit? Since that was that was uh, you know that and the organic web shooters were like two of the mm-hmm. most cons- uh, you know <laughs> disputed things at the time back in two thousand two. Remember organicwebshooters dot com? <laughs> I don't, but I do now. <laughs> Nerd rage in its embryonic stage. Oh, I, I remember ta- having this conversation with Kevin because um, I was working at a, a grocery chain at the time in loss prevention and he it was sometimes i'd be in the one that he would he would shop in and we'd run each other and we would just talk about hey did you hear about this is i remember him and i having a brief conversation about it and it was that i guess there was at one point supposed to be web shooters but it wasn't really supposed to produce web it was supposed to help um i guess um control like yeah uh, just to direct the flow of the webbing yeah and we were like you know pick one either have web shooters that shoot the web itself or don't have it because if you're going to go halfway, it just seems kind of ridiculous. But I remember being turned off to the idea at first because that's not how the comics were. And I guess that was something that they pulled from Ultimate Spider-Man, uh, which I wasn't reading and mm-hmm. I wasn't interested at all. Yeah. But then I kind of was like, all right. I mean, it, to some extent, it does make sense. He gets all these other powers from a spider except one of their most notable features, um, you know, producing web. Well, t- t- technically, he should be producing web out his butt. So you know, fans are. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I, 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 I don't mind the organic web shooters of like of, of all changes. Like that's the least uh, th- that I mind. What I mind is somehow being forced to believe that a a you know a poor kid from Queens managed to create that costume. <laughs> yeah, they kind of gloss over that part in the in the film, don't they? Yeah, they <laughs> we, sure we just do. Kind of go from you know sweatsuit and ski mask to uh, him, or rather, the hand of Phil Jimenez on camera yeah. sketching out this fancy new costume, and suddenly he's wearing it. Yeah, so, yeah. 
good call there, Ian. Yeah, with the piping and everything, it just it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And I I think that a much more practical cloth version of the Spider-Man costume, similar to what we got in uh, actually, I mean that was the best part of Amazing Spider-Man Two was the costume. Um, I think that that's like the movie that got it one hundred percent right was that one. And then uh, you know what we've gotten in the MCU uh, versions of Spider-Man was uh, was pretty damn close too. But uh, you know your mileage may vary on that. Mm. One thing I, I like to broach um, as we're getting into this, what I still really love about that film is how lovingly Raimi takes you through Peter Parker's world before he becomes Spider-Man. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I remember sitting in the theater the first time, you know, because I, I went and saw it not ten times like Matt. You get you get the uh, CGS Medal of Valor there, but um, I, I'm sure I saw it at least two or three times. But sitting there and like. As Peter's narrating his woebegone existence, the school bus, the bullies, you know, his he's pining for MJ afar, the way he is with the camera and the class trip. Like it's it's for me, it's really pitch perfect. And, and you know, his relationship with Aunt Man, Uncle Ben, how close he is to them. And, and it, it was Cliff Robertson, Uncle Ben. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the actors are playing Uncle Ben and Aunt May are perfect. Like they are mm-hmm. absolutely perfect. It's one of the most pitch perfect bits of casting in the whole film. Agreed. And just when they're talking about how he doesn't have a job and, you know, he's, he was an electrician and you feel how long they've been together and how much they love each other. It's really good writing and really good acting. And they read the comics and when Peter comes in and he's sort of wide eyed and he, he, you feel how much he loves his uncle and aunt and all of that works really well. That's what I meant before is I I thought Tobey Maguire really got to the essence of the character of Peter Parker, especially from those early comic book stories. Yeah. And I, I I really, as I, when I've ever watched the film since those are the parts of the movie, I really savor him being Peter and, you know, you know, being kind of schlubby yet brilliant at the same time and trying to, you know, navigate his way. Um, prior to when he ha- has his powers, and, and of course, even when he does have his powers, like when he's in the cafeteria and the webbing's driving, drop, dragging the tray, and you know that—that's Spider-Man. Like, and, and the the scene that still gives me chills to this day, when he first is discovering his powers, and he puts his hand to the wall, and the music goes like "dunt," and you see his fingers adhere to the wall. And then he begins to scale the wall. It's really well done. And you see in his face the the sheer awe and excitement he's feeling because as he starts to discover what he's capable of. It's pitch-perfect Spider-Man origin sequence right there. I'll tell you what, my – I agree with you. And that's one of the issues that I have with with the MCU version is it felt like there was a lot of weight to the the Parker scenes. Uh, One of my issues with Ned is – in, in, in this movie, even though his best friend was Harry, it seemed like he would still keep things from Harry. Ned, it seems like he'll tell everything to in the MCU. So in 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 the Raimi movie, it seems like Peter really is by himself and Aunt May, who there is some things that he'll confide in her, but he holds some stuff back because he wants to protect her. In the MCU, it's like, well, he doesn't have any of that anymore. Um, Ned knows, Aunt May knows, uh, MJ knows uh, right away. Uh, well, not right away, but you know, in there. So, it, to me, it's like this doesn't feel like um, the the old Peter the Parker luck, where you only have enough money 
but it's either use it for rent or buy the medication that Aunt May needs. Mm-hmm. So somebody's got to be sacrificed. I don't get that feeling from the MCU, yeah. but I kind of got from here. Like, uh, like, like you said, you felt they, they built up the first half of the movie of who Peter is before he even becomes Spider-Man. Like the day of his graduation where he's just kind of um, not brooding, but sitting by himself and reflecting and, and his aunt comes in and she says, uh, puts her hands on his shoulder and he's like, you know, I missed him so much. And he's like, well, you know, he was here today. And then that kind of leads into, you know, him pulling out the stuff and, and going off to be Spider-Man. You mentioned about climbing up the walls. One of my all time favorite scenes that I could watch over and over and over is, um, he has the, the argument with Ben mm-hmm. and even though it hasn't happened yet, I just remember feeling that, that lump in my throat. Cause it's like, Oh my God, these are going to be the last words he says to Ben before he dies. Oh yeah. And then when he does see him and Ben dies and you just him racing through the alley to go after um, the, the thug and he climbs up, he's chasing all around it. But it's that moment where he just shoots out a web shooter, uh, uh, webbing and that look on his face, like, what am I doing? And he just takes that leap into the abyss yep. and he's headed towards the building. And all of a sudden as an instinct, his other hand flicks out. And he just starts web slinging for the first time. Uh, it's it's magnificent. It, really uh, it is. is it is so brilliant that 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 whole that whole portion I, I felt like had so much more weight than. And again, I, I like Tom Holland as Spider Man, and I understand they can only do so much with what he's given. And it, to some extent, I feel like his stuff is sacrificed for the grander MCU kind of plan. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel that at any point really in the mcu movies and i don't want this to be a, a comparison where uh, we're saying which is better and stuff like that but i just remember feeling so much weight and that's why i love this movie so much is because you got those those character moments right that i kind of feel are lacked or lacked and and that and that's well, something that i'll 100 percent say about about this movie is that um it did the origin so well that frankly i don't want to see it on screen for another 20 years yeah you know like like <laughs> i I think that that is that is one hundred percent what this movie does right. It's the first forty five minutes of the movie where you get to know Peter. You know, you you see you see Ben, you see Ben die, you see him run after the robber, whose re- name in real life, by the way, is Michael Papa John. I just wanted to point that out, uh, <laughs> and uh, I hope I hope he likes pizza a lot. Um, and uh, then uh, and then you know that then becomes. Spider-Man after that and it's the only movie that got the wrestling right so frankly uh, that's what this movie does pitch perfect it's like Ditko come to life and I fully appreciate that but I'm also glad that the other movies haven't really gone there like Amazing Spider-Man did its own thing and you know yes and no's on positives and negatives there uh, and what have you uh, and then I'm kind of glad the MCU didn't bother with it because frankly I I think that that it would have been mismanaged uh done that mm-hmm. way i think just make him spider-man already we know right. what yeah, probably would spider-man. have been mutated by one of the infinity stones or something <laughs> lame like that <laughs> yeah but i have to say they I, I still think it's a big misstep not to have a mention of uncle ben i, I mean agree. they hint at they don't actually give his name yes. i think they could easily just make a line you don't have to show the origin in the mcu yeah. but i feel like that's something that's very very important the yeah. great mm-hmm. with great power comes great responsibility and they yeah. don't even touch upon him beyond like a 30 second comment that that peter's telling ned while they're walking down the street yeah, yeah but matt one thing i would say there though is and i'm just making an, an educated guess here it's not even educated I'm just, it's wild guess but the way they ended the last holland film I, I wouldn't be surprised if you're going to get what you want 
in the next film because now that he's been severed both in the storyline and in, cor- in the corporate world from the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a sense because Tony's dead and he's, he's – you may see more of that version of Spider-Man that we, we tend to appreciate more. Yeah, but I, I got to be honest with you. If it's not connected with MCU, I don't even know if I'll go see it. <laughs> okay. Well, hmm. I tried. <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm just saying – at this point, the only ones I'm really seeing are the ones that are connected with the MCU, and some of them not overly. Like I had no intention of seeing Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. but I was like, well, there's some Infinity uh, Stone stuff in there, so I, I and, and Meg heard some good things, mm-hmm. so she went to see it. Yeah. But I really had no interest to in seeing that. Um, but you know, it's just like Captain Marvel. I was like, well, it's right before uh, Endgame, so there's got to be something that leads you into that. Uh, that that was one of the big hooks that I had in there, more so than going to see a Captain Marvel movie. Um, so it's like if it's completely broken off, I don't even know if I'll see it. Maybe eventually, when it's on home release, but it's not something I'm I'm jumping out there to. I'll rush out there, and and part of it I think is because of everything that's been built up to that point that's been wrapped into the MCU. Mm-hmm. You know, at what point is it kind of a soft reboot without being a reboot, right? But picking up the pieces, yeah. But the, oh, does anyone else miss in these Spider-Man movies? And I think it was in the second one as well. Uh, when he's swinging through the city, mm-hmm. web-slinging, yeah. where he'll like run oh, sh- along a building yeah. as, oh, sh- as he's holding on to the web line. I like that. Yeah. Well, not, I, that only, was some, not only that. That was cool. That was great. And they, Raimi re- emphasized the joy he experienced. He would be yeah. hooting and hollering mm-hmm. and, and, sh- and whooping. As he was swinging, and I was like, "See, like Raimi is clearly such a fan, mm. and he's so went because one of you mentioned it before about the notion of character. Why is Spider-Man such an indelible comic book icon? It's not. It's not even just that he's Spider-Man. It's Peter Parker, and it's the character moments between him and his, this various supporting cast, the villains, and so forth. It's those human moments, and when he had him just ex- feeling exhilarated about swinging." I was like, oh, he so has it. Like, he just really he got to the essence of Peter Parker as Spider-Man. And I agree with you, Matt. Those mo- scenes are wonderful. This was a Spider-Man who lived in the daylight. You know, yes. He was swinging around in the brilliant sunshine, enjoying you know, the, the, the fact of having superpowers. Which, is after quite a few years of uh, tortured, shadowy, uh, you know, neo-Gothic... Um, well, Batman type movies or uh, movies imitating that vein, like The Shadow or The Phantom, or so forth. Uh, it was it, it was yeah, that too. It was kind of refreshing yeah, that uh, we had a superhero with a little bit of joy to him, and also the fact that he was swinging around a city that was unmistakably real life New York, as opposed to some. This wasn't Joel Schumacher trying to create a neon Gotham City that was trying to cre- create what he thought was a living comic book. <laughs> this was uh, Sam Raimi taking an actual living, breathing city and in. Injecting a bit of superheroics into it, and uh, now while we're on this thread, one of the things that struck me quite a bit uh, on my most recent rewatching was uh, you know, just visually how much it, it reminded me, and it's appropriate in its anniversary year of uh, Busick and Ross's Marvels. Mm. I think whoever did the oh, cinema yeah. they must have read Marvels once or twice. Every still image they showed of Spider-Man, like every photo that Peter took of Spider-Man, just by like. Uh, uh, body language and uh, panel composition and uh, the use of light it reminded me of Alex Ross. And I'm, I, one of my favorite scenes, uh, the one that probably gave me the biggest uh, thrill or sense of wonder, like Matt was talking about in his initial comments, uh, was right after 
it's a scene right after Spider-Man rescues Mary Jane from uh, the Goblin's attack on like Unity Festival Day when he murders his board of directors. And uh, Spidey saves Mary Jane, and they go swinging off into New York, and he eventually deposits her on a rooftop. But uh, there's a shot that's taken from a street-level perspective of Spider-Man and Mary Jane up there among the rooftops. Just sw- you feel like you're standing there on the street corner seeing Spider-Man and Mary Jane swinging overhead. It just seemed like something Ross would have painted into one of those issues of Marvels. And that's a great point, Murray, because that's also the essence of a Marvel comic book in that in those Silver Age stories, Lee and the artists made sure to emphasize that regular people were in awe. Like, they noticed, like, these these larger-than-life figures, you know, flying or swinging by them. People would stop what they were doing and gawk, right? And that was such the essence of – and that, that's what uh, differentiated Marvel from DC uh, in that sense, and that, that's a great point. And when he deposits her on the uh, that rooftop garden and, uh, you know, he's like, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, and he swings away and he's whooping again. And the, the only negative I, – I, I referenced this earlier in our, our recording. The only negative I had about – the way Spider-Man was portrayed, he didn't make enough jokes in that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like the quipping is so essential, and I'm sure Tobey Maguire is one of the capable of doing that. The quipping is so, and that's just the writing. Like there was not mm-hmm. enough of him. Like when when the Goblin attacks Jane Jonah Jameson's office, and 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 Spider-Man goes, "Hey, you know," he says something like, "You know, mom and dad are talking." Like, okay, like we should have a lot more of that in this movie. Mm. Um, yeah. And that 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 was one area where I think that they were lacking in have, in portraying the character properly. I think uh, Kevin played the 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 game. I can't remember if it was the first one or the second one, but Tobey Maguire did the voice, and he said some of the uh, there was quips in there. Um, like I think he was fighting the Shocker, and he's like the Shocker shouldn't he be like uh, quilted shirt man or something. So, but he said. There's a couple times he actually had to pause the game because the quips were funny, but that was something that was extremely <laughs> noticeable, noticeably missing from yeah. the movie. Actually, the all the the Raimi movies and the third one that is more studio, but um, mm. that was was missing from. Well, the guy the guy who wrote the screenplay for this movie, um, uh, his his name is uh, David Kep. David- yeah. And 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 he's he wrote the screenplay for Toy Soldiers and Mission Impossible and was one of the yeah I know I know the name Park. he's done a lot of stuff yeah, yeah. and uh, I I don't really think quips when I think of those movies except for maybe Toy Soldiers and I I think that uh, maybe had they brought on uh, you know a writer that uh, to punch that portion up a little bit. Uh, we might we might have gotten something maybe a little bit better on the Spider-Man end when it comes to those. Um, I think we actually did have a couple of script doctors on that, and it still turned out the way it did. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> well, but you know I, what? Go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I mean, who knows if they brought script doctors on, if they were, you know, the, the same comic book fans or, or kind of had a rough idea. I was thinking about Hugh Jackman said that in the script for the X-Men movies, there, that really – uh, Wolverine didn't say bub and he's he read that the character would say that often and those are really a lot of him just adding them into the points of the movie as opposed to them being part of the script so you know it could be the same thing only maybe Tommy Maguire which it does seem kind of strange that Sam Raimi wouldn't have said hey let's put some quips in here yeah as he was directing with being the big fan of the character that he is mm-hmm. but what what was pitch perfect in terms of adaptation as we talk about other characters when you first see Norman Osborn in the car with Harry, and he looks at Harry and he goes, and he, he chastises him for, for, for you know being sort of a, a laggard, and he's like, you know, never be ashamed of who you are. And I, I remember in my seat, I, I almost stood up and I went, oh, they got it. 
oh, they got Norman Osborn. Yep. Like you knew right there in that scene that they completely understand this character. And the part of that this movie that still excites you the most is watching Willem Dafoe out of that silly costume. Yeah. Being Norman Osborn, when, when he's in that board meeting and and they're they're selling him down the river and they're, and they're selling out the cover underneath him and he goes, "Don't you know what I've sacrificed?" Yep. And and it, just the sheer madness in his in his voice and his face and his it, it, like this rictus in his mouth and he's snarling <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh my god, this yeah. is phenomenal! Like this is so yeah. like this is the comic book come to life!" Like his face perfect. practically assumes the shape of the yeah. Green Goblin mask, yeah. the, the real one, not not the chrome plate green bean. The, the Lord of the Rings yeah. uh, Smeagol at, uh, persona would not exist without Willem Dafoe in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, because especially with him talking to himself in the mirror, uh, oh yeah, I had so many flashbacks to precious. <laughs> you, you know, it, it just it just works. It just works so beautifully with the character, and he performed ninety percent of his own stunts. Willem Dafoe. Mm. Uh, I, I read that uh, in the, in the trivia earlier tonight that uh, you know that he he almost demanded it. Like if he was gonna if he was gonna do this, he was gonna do it himself. And uh, it it sure shows with the performance, like so well, thought, much of him. I'm sorry, Ann, continue, please. No, no, that, that that's basically where, where I was going. Well, so, go I, I'm also thinking about <laughs> the Thanksgiving scene when <laughs> he, he's at the head of the table and he's going to touch the stuffing, and Ant-Man slaps his hand. The look on his face, <laughs> like I'm like, oh my god, is he going to murder her right there? And then he starts, you know, sharpening the knife. And and then when he realizes that Peter is Spider-Man because he has the cut and just I mean, it's a tour de force performance. I mean, he completely understood that character to a T. I even thought when um, they're waiting for Peter and after he gets introduced to to Mary Jane and I think um, Harry's head is turned and Aunt May's head and he just like eyes her up and down, has this like smile and she's she's seeing. Oh, this. that's a great scene. Even that's my great skin crawled a little that's bit. That's a great scene. Yep. Well, he, he's, he's, he's like a predator just kind of sizing her up. And it's great acting on both – and she's she's clearly very uncomfortable. Yeah. And let me segue there because I, I mentioned this at the beginning. I really like Kirsten Dunst as an actress. I just – especially now as I watch it as an older person, I don't buy her as Mary Jane Watson. When I think mm-hmm. of Mary Jane Watson, the character that we know so well from the comic, mm-hmm. it, I mean what do you guys think? I just, I just don't think well, it's there. Like, I, 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 I know – I'm going to play uh, Kirsten's advocate here because okay. I, I, hear, I hear what you're saying, Chris, and it's it's a, f- a fair point that the character doesn't really feel like Mary Jane, but this is another thing that I think we can lay mostly at the feet of the writers okay. because the way Mary Jane is written in this movie is very much your stripped basic factory issue out of the box. Yeah, it's, it's very lightweight, very lightweight. lightweight. Yep. All Mary Jane really has to do is to mope around feeling unfulfilled and pensive or emotionally hurt and generally pursuable for Peter and occasionally to scream in terror as her life is threatened. Yeah. Um, so we don't really see very much of that uh, that spunk or that joie de vivre that we get exactly. from the, uh, the freewheeling uh, but uh, deeply troubled party girl that uh, we got from uh, from Lee and uh, and uh, Dick and Romita and so forth. Now that I now that I know that Elizabeth Banks tried out for Mary Jane Watson uh, before she was cast as Betty Brant. Um, I'm imagining in my head what Elizabeth Banks would have been like as Mary Jane. And Very much like a Romita illustration. Yes, what I'm absolutely. Picturing. So, and, wow. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I didn't know. I didn't know that. Ian. great. Thank great, you for giving me that image. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my my pleasure. Because I because I think that that would have worked great. However, Kirsten Dunst, um, if you wanted to, if you want to see her acting at, at her best, uh, she's in a new Showtime show. I've heard it's fantastic. Which is which is amazing. Uh, How to yeah. become a god in Central Florida, um, and uh, if she had been given the chance to act in this movie, because I agree with you, Merge. She was basically just the damsel in the stress. Woe is me a, a lot. Um, I think she would have done a tour de force, and I think we'd have a very different opinion on her. And they really didn't improve it in in, in two and no, three either. They didn't. And yeah. l- let me reemphasize: I, I really like her as an actress, and yes. I, I think Merge's point is well taken. Definitely, and, I, and I'm going to agree with it. Is that it? They didn't. Yes, they they established that you know her beauty and that she's popular, and you know, and they put her in high school, which is fine. You know that that that's different than the comp, but that's not a big deal. But you know, you. The essence of that character, as we know, that, that makes the character so interesting and so appealing, it's really muted in that film. And when I think about the support, like when you think about why Spider-Man is such a great icon, a lot of it is because of his supporting cast yeah. and how st- strongly uh, delineated those characters are. And the film does a mixed job. Osborne is amazing. Yeah. J. Jonah Jameson is right, walks right out of the book, yep. basically. I mean, it's phenomenal. Robbie Robertson is a throwaway. They do nothing with him. Yeah. Um, and Ant-Man and Uncle Ben are, are also perfect. And Mary Jane is also kind of like, eh. And then and, – and Harry, first of all, he's too good-looking, number one. <laughs> um, I mean and I, I love – James Franco is a great actor. I love James Franco. <laughs> but I never really – I don't – when I look at the movie now, again, I don't, you don't, I don't really believe him as Harry Osborn. I love James Franco. It's again, very it's hard to get white guys cornrows, so they couldn't really do that. <laughs> but well, it's it, – it just – Go ahead, Murd. I'm sorry. Please. Well, yeah. Again, it's he, he wasn't really written as the uh, uh, good time Charlie. Um, you know, on one t- on the one hand, uh, always cracking a joke and trying to be the life of the party, but on the other hand, uh, just totally domineered by his father, living in his shadow. Uh, part of that comes through in Franco's performance. I, th- I really do feel the tension of his t- simultaneous resentment and re- resentment of and reverence for. That's the best part of the towering father. I agree. But beyond that, he, he really he doesn't come across as the same character as we know from the comics. I agree with that, Murray. No, I, I thought they did an an interesting job of um, making Harry. Harry essentially could have anything he wanted because of because of the money, but it it seemed like uh, Peter had what what he didn't have, and Peter had a lot less, um, yeah, than, than Harry. But but Harry still longed for, and that was kind of what led to him dating Mary Jane and and stuff like that. But I I, I did I thought James Franco did an excellent job. Where there were times where I felt like he was just like this broken. Uh, person because of the the stress that his dad put on him. That moment where his, um, he gets hugged by his dad and said, "You know, I'm going to make up for lost time." Yeah. And kind of like his shoulders just like shrugging down um, while while they're hugging, and and just kind of the jealousy that he had for his best friend, who he saw as a brother, who who didn't wasn't as well off as he was, but had everything that he essentially wanted. Yeah. Well, not only that, what what was uh, what was especially well done, and this is the part of. Again, I, I agree. It's a lot of it's the writing, but what Franco really captures, and this is right from the book again, is he so craves his father's approval, but at the same time, mm-hmm. he's so resentful of his father, as you said. And the the movie does a wonderful job of showing how much Norman really wants Peter to be his son. Like when he meets Peter, he goes and he talks, about, and Peter talks about his paper, and, and Norman looks at him and goes, "And you understood it." Because then, right then, they're like, "Okay, Peter is is like the son that Norman really wanted." And they really carry that through very nicely. 
uh, throughout the movie. I'd say that uh, Harry's biggest problem is that he doesn't understand how girls work in any in, 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 in any way. Like I know I know he's a broken man in some ways, but like okay, and and I'll go buy you something that'll make you feel better, right? Right, baby? What? What? Come back. Come. H- hello. Hello. Like, well, he was only he was only eighteen. I mean, you know. I know. I know. We've all been we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, in in all honesty, and I've seen this before, and the something that my mom was like this growing up. If you don't know how to, sometimes you want to essentially buy affection. Where hey, I feel bad for you. I remember uh, my my mom yelling at at my young sister and I for for something. I, f- I forget what happened. Uh, and feeling bad, and to kind of make up for it, she bought. We were at the whatever store, and she bought us each something to kind of make up for it. So when I saw that, it didn't seem too off because it's like, well, he doesn't. To some extent, he he doesn't really get emotion from his father, right? So his father probably buys him stuff yeah. to compensate for that, and that's what. And that's from the comic too, exactly. Right. That's what. <laughs> so, so you know, I always look at the same thing with with uh, Bruce Wayne is he. he he, he's this great detective. He does everything. Uh, but when it comes to kind of like the bat family, he doesn't really know how to connect with them because after his parents died, he's never really made connections to kind of learn how to communicate better and show that he, he's affectionate for somebody other than just kind of, well, I'm doing stuff. You just need to assume you, you should know what this represents. Right. Um, and that's how kind of how I looked at that. Harry is in, in that moment is that's how he's trying to come across as being um, affectionate, but it's by, by buying stuff to make someone. <laughs> what did we think of, shifting here a bit, what did we think of the battle scenes between Spider-Man and the Green Goblin? The final one was extremely visceral. Um, it was very intense and brutal even. I appreciated the fact that... Um, much of the Hollywood, uh, the, the usual um, uh, sound and fury, you know, there the, the, the was were stripped away. There was no background music playing. You know, the, the sound effects were maybe a little bit louder than usual, but it's I, that is one part that I that was one of the two scenes that uh, kind of got an emotional rise out of me mm-hmm. while it was going on. The other one being when uh, Peter walked in and uh, embraced Aunt May after the death of Uncle Ben and his avenging him mm. on the burglar. Um, but yeah, that, that, that final scene, at least, um, r- really worked for me. I mean, it, that, that is one thing that stands up. I think the kind of over-choreographed, over-orchestrated uh, final fights of today's superhero movies could maybe take a lesson from what uh, Raimi and company did in that scene. Absolutely. Well, Murray, what I think is you made a great point there because that final battle, I, I, you're right on the money, Murray, because it shows the hatred of the goblin yeah. when he, when he's like basically he's beating Peter to death before Peter's able to rally at the end. And like, they show him just like wailing into him. And like, that's again, Raimi gets it. Like there is such a, a this murder is the perfect, such a visceral, passionate hatred that, that the goblin has. Um, even though he, he, at the same time, he wants to kind of makes Peter his heir in a sense. And the way that he's, he, they're, they're just, pummeling each other that's right right from the essence of the book and what i also loved and this is was beautifully done and this is where you know you don't need the fancy special effects so much um when spider-man goes into the burning building i was just thinking that yep and the goblin throws his bat razors at him and they have spider-man use his spider sense woefully missing in the new films Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. 
and you watch Peter, and I'm standing up because I have to do this for myself. You watch him maneuvering and avoiding all of the bat razors. Then he leaps up, then he ducks. I looked at it. I almost cried with joy because I'm like, this is the freaking comic come to life. I mean, yeah. it's a beautifully choreographed moment. It's fantastic. Also, a little bit the Matrix comes to life. Yes, and there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely influence for there. But uh, it, it's funny, Chris. I thought you were going to be talking about another burning building moment with uh, with the Green Goblin, which was one of my favorite moments in the movie and always has been when uh, Spider Man goes in to get the uh, you know the the old woman from 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 the <laughs> from the burning building, and it, and it turns out to be the Green Goblin. Not only is that one of the best executed scenes of the movie. But it's also one of the few jump scares in the movie. Uh, yes, it is, and and, and it, it it worked it worked really well for me, and it and still kind of does. Yeah, there's well, a number you know, of spots in this movie where you can kind of see Raimi's background as a horror movie director yes. shining brightly through. Definitely, and, and to be to go to be negative for a moment when it comes to when the way the Goblin is portrayed, because Defoe was so phenomenal when he attacks Aunt May, and he's you know he's he's screaming at her. If, again, if he'd had a better costume, yeah. that would have been such a terrifying scene. I know. Um, but he's got that stupid, goofy mask on, and you don't – like he's saying – he's yelling at her, finish it! And if we could have seen his face, I mean you would have pissed your pants, man. I, I mean – Did you notice and, – and I agree. That final fight between the two of them was outstanding. Did you notice that through his mask, at least in the, you can actually see his eyes and his, um, yeah. his mouth. Yeah, you can see yes. his mouth moving through like the the, the mouth like screen. The, yeah, like yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're right. I think that brings something that if they would have had a better mask, would have really elevated things. Um, Maybe yeah, given him some clothes too, because he looks like he's just kind of a big metal naked guy <laughs> with a green <laughs> banana for a head. What my my other thing, I mean, since we're talking about Spider-Man and Green Goblin fights, uh, the one that didn't work for me um, was the parade in Times Square. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I can understand what Raimi was doing here because that is so obviously his send-up to Donner's Superman. Um, mm. that oh, I was going to say, yeah, uh, like the... the- uh, Burton Keaton Batman. Maybe it's just the fact that there were giant balloon floats present. <laughs> that's that's a possibility, yeah. But but especially with the you know the the saving the damsel and you know like like swinging her through and whatnot. I I immediately thought of you know Superman with Lois Lane in those movies. Um, you know, trying to save her as a damsel in distress because that's all women are supposed to be for is is damsels in distress to be saved by their superheroes, or at least that's right. you know that the way that, that they sometimes are portrayed. Um, but I, the action did not work anywhere near as well in that scene, uh, the way that it was executed, even though, uh, the lighting is still great. Um, they, they utilize, uh, you know, the, the golden hour beautifully throughout the movie. Um, they, they were definitely filming this in the early, in either, uh, as the sun was setting or the sun was rising. Cause that's the only time you can actually film in New York and not have people be around. Um, but, I overall, could have been done a bit better. The uh, the set pieces were obvious set pieces, especially with that uh, balcony collapsing. Uh, didn't really look very realistic, and uh, the CGI is poor at best at at, at times there. But uh, still, still we have that end scene, and that's all that matters. I, I remember, I, go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. Well, I was just gonna say. I remember Kevin and I were talking about that. The, the, it was. I mean, it was basically uh, Richard Donner with, with Superman there, but where he. Um, 
where you know shit's hitting the the fan, and Peter starts running and rips open the shirt, and you could see the he had this suit on yeah. underneath. Oh yeah, and I remember Kevin and I were talking about how cool that was and it's very reminiscent of spider-man but we're like how stupid is that because all somebody would have to do is just get a quick glance chance that they're prayed they might have a camera or or even if they're not looking maybe in the background of a photo they see his face they have a shirt ripped open and go wait a minute that's spider-man so it, it was great to cut i thought it was kind of funny that we were talking about how cool it was but at the same time how stupid it would be because <laughs> you're almost potentially could be giving your identity away <laughs> Well, well, you mentioned before about Raimi, uh, his horror background, and there were definitely moments like that in the movie. The One of my favorites, it's very it's very subtle in a way, when Peter's at the hospital and he realizes that Osborne knows who he is and that Mary Jane is in danger, and he calls the, her machine, and then the goblin comes on the phone. Can Spider-Man come out to play? It's that I think Hitchcock yeah. would be proud of that yeah. moment. And, and he's cackling, and I'm like, oh, man. Because the, I mean, the Green Goblin has been used so heavily in, in the Marvel Universe since his inception. And sometimes I think we, 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 we might forget when he's done well how utterly frightening and creepy a villain he is. And uh, it, Raimi really got that. And that's again, I still enjoy that so thoroughly. Now, uh, now, Chris, one of the questions I had to ask you at some point during this, sure. uh, as the Silver Age maven that you are, what do you feel about the choice of choosing Mary Jane as the immediate love interest in these movies, uh, as opposed to going Gwen Stacy first? And do you think that perhaps these movies would have worked better had they done it the other way around? I thought about that. That's an excellent question. What we have to remember is when that movie came out, because everybody, everybody knows who Mary Jane is now. Right. But... When the movie came out, it, we, we, we shouldn't assume that the average moviegoer necessarily knew who Mary Jane Watson was. Sure. So um, – because she didn't appear in the 1970s television show, nor did Gwen for that matter. All the, I think all they had was like Glory Grant in that, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, the, the Nicholas Hammond show. And yeah. she was in some of the cartoons, but a lot of people wouldn't have watched those. So it could have been Gwen, but maybe that – I mean they do bring Gwen in the third movie, but it's a total waste of the character. Agreed. And and a, and a waste of a, a fine actress like Dallas Bryce Howard, who who certainly, I mean, she she at least looked the part perfectly, um, but they just didn't give her much to do. Um, but if they had brought, see, my thinking was if they had brought Gwen in, then you have to do a trilogy where ultimately Gwen is killed by the Goblin, right? Um, and then you bring and then you know you bring in Mary Jane. I guess they just didn't want to go in that direction. They, they had elements of it because the final battle in, in the film and the way the goblin dies is all taken from the death of Gwen Stacy, um, essentially. But this I'm is such a, uh, well, in, in the first movie, the way the, the goblin is killed by his so own I was glider. Say, in, 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 doesn't isn't where it's the issue first where Gwen dies, and then the second issue that follows that correct. Is where yep, the goblin twenty one and one twenty two. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So yeah. I'm a huge Gwen fan, and I, and I would have loved to have seen her in the film. Um, now, whether or not they would, if they had done that, would they have adapted those stories? They've gone in a different direction. It, you know, it's it's who knows. Yeah. Um, but I, it, it didn't bother me that Mary they used Mary Jane first, um, and they put her in high school and all that. That's I, I was still thoroughly enjoyed the film. But again, especially now as an older person watching it so many times, and I agree, Murd's one hundred percent correct in my opinion. The writing just lets that character down. Yeah, uh, quite a bit. You know, what would have been interesting looking in, in hindsight is as always. If they would have 
made Gwen, you know, the lead the, the lead role, and and you just have like some minimally known actress as Mary Jane, and then at the end they actually kill Gwen, and just you know, how much would that have been taking you back? Like, oh my god! I mean, they're, they're building this whole thing up as that we're going to be seeing potentially multiple movies with Gwen and Peter, mm-hmm. and Gwen dies at the end of the first movie. Yeah. Well, let's let's do a contrast, if I may. So. Does anybody mind if I spoil Amazing Spider-Man 2? No, by all means. I don't think it's spoiled for anybody. <laughs> okay, so... Proceed, sir. So, thank you, brothers. So, uh, the magnificent Emma Stone, who is an actress I, I love, yep. Yep. she plays Gwen. She's great. In, in, and I, I actually liked Amazing Spider-Man, the first one. I, mm-hmm. Overall, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Not as much as this film, but I enjoyed it. But then in the second film, they basically try to rush through the entire Goblin saga in one movie... And and they, and they kind of introduce the goblin like halfway through the film, and then Gwen dies, and the movie's over, except for some throwaway fight with the rhino and Paul Giamatti probably making the easiest paycheck of his career. <laughs> um, and, and I and I love Paul Giamatti, so that was a throwaway of a great actor there too. But um, in the first Amazing Spider-Man film, you can see Emma Stone really developing the character of Gwen and her rapport with Peter. And they totally squander that in the second movie because mm-hmm. they kill her off when really it should have been a trilogy. Right. And they, if they're going to kill her, kill her in the third film. Agreed. Develop the friendship with Harry, which is very quick in the second movie. And everything would have had more weight behind it. Um, and, and that's where when they use – because they're trying to – they make Gwen the main, ca- the main ca- character in, in, those new, in those Garfield films. And they squander it terribly. And I I loved Emma Stone's portrayal of Gwen, but it just it just goes off the rails. They were originally going to introduce Mary Jane in that second Amazing Spider-Man movie as well. And and they wound up uh, cutting out all those scenes uh, that they had cast an actress and everything. Uh, Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah. Yeah, It's Uh, at Shyla Whaling or something like that. I think. uh, Shailene or whatever. She's uh, in the Divergent series. Shailene Whitley. Shailene Woodley. Oh, Shailene Woodley. She's yeah. an outstanding actress. Yep. So, uh, Ian, were those fi- fi- scenes filmed? Those scenes were filmed, and they're sitting in a can somewhere. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Yeah. And then okay. I think she got pissed and said that if they did a third one, she wouldn't be in it. Uh, so there's, there's something with that as yeah, well. Yeah, some, something along those lines, especially since well, the, the internet let, reacted let, saying she wasn't sexy enough to play Mary Jane. Oh, I think she's very sexy. But anyway, um, what I want well, – again, what I want to say about that, let me do a little contrast because – when I think about the three actors who've played Spider-Man in, in movies, I think they've all reached different aspects of the character. Well, I thought McGuire yeah. – I loved his Peter Parker. His Spider-Man was okay, but again, I think more of that was the writing with the lack of the quips. Mm-hmm. I loved Garfield's Spider-Man. I thought his Spider-Man was sensational. Yes. His Peter Parker was like, what the hell is this? Uh, <laughs> I mean that was just like emo Peter Parker. I, I never really understood where they're going with that. Um, and then Holland, I think – really captures both aspects well, but we're just seeing Spider-Man, as Matt's pointed out, in a very different context in the MCU. So it's not it's not like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man or like the Silver Age Spider-Man at all, really. Right. Much more much more but ultimate Spider-Man. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well put. Well yeah. put. So that's just my little little take on just the, the three the three actors involved. Yeah. You know, one of the things that, that I I always think about with this movie is when um after uh, the Green Goblin gets gets Spider Man on the rooftop and he's frozen, he's giving this speech about, you know, you know what people like to do? They like a hero and then they like to tear him down. Yep. I, I always think about that because I think how many times is it we build up, say, like a sports star, 
to be like this great person. And as soon as you get a chance to start undermining that, that person and start chopping them down, you do it. Celebrities are the same thing. And, and I think that's, that, that's the main thing is we prop people up. And then when they get to a certain point, we're like, well, now we got to tear them down because now they're Mr. Big Shot or they're, they're Ms. Big Shot. Even though they never put themselves on the pedestal, everyone else did. But, and then people just start tearing them down. And that's the essence of Spider-Man because yeah. he, he's always like – and I hope they, they go into this now in the new film since Jameson has now revealed his identity in, in, in the last Holland film. Spider-Man's on the run. Spider-Man's misunderstood. He's a menace. He's being hunted by the police. Like that. that's so part and parcel of some of the great stories in the character's history. And you know, I, I want to see more of that because he, 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 Spider-Man is one of the great anti-hero superheroes. And you know we've seen bits and pieces of that in these films, but I, I'm still waiting for really the overall package when it comes to that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know I, cr- I don't want to say crap, but I know I, I criticize. I think the MCU Spider-Man a lot more. I will have to say one thing I do like about what they do with the solo movies is I think the aside from that, the supporting cast. I, I, I'm not I'm not a fan of this version of Flash. I, I like the old uh, kind of dumb. But uh, Jock persona, uh, and it, you know you can you can do whatever you want with who's who's cast as a character. But I miss that aspect. When I think Flash, I think of the athletic guy who's who's kind of a bully. Yeah. I do too. Um, who loves Spider Man? <laughs> right. So it's so in this last movie, I thought you got a little bit more with the supporting cast. Whereas in in the first one, as it went on, it basically just became Harry and Mary Jane, and anyone else they went to school with, ah, what the hell. Yeah, um, I, I didn't like that either. Start. I didn't like that either. I, I, I would have loved for Joe Manganiello to come back and uh, have more to do with these movies, uh, especially in two and three, and uh, and see that friendship grow between uh, him and Peter as as Flash grows as a person. But unfortunately, yeah. we didn't get that. The other thing that you, you made a good point, Matt, is that in the in the in the new versions, the new version, there's some interesting elements with the supporting cast. What's the name of the actress who plays MJ, as they call her now? Uh, Zendaya. Zendaya. I, th- I think she's fantastic. And I-, I-, I like their dynamic. I like the awkwardness of it. I mean, Ned is just fun comic relief. I loved his little Paul Betty Brandt thing that they had going on there. But I- I'm really glad they brought Jameson back into it because he's so important to the whole Spider-Man mythos. That was always, for me, a, a glaring omission, that he wasn't there. Yeah. And, and you know, we like – is Peter going to be a photographer, for example, going forward and like that? I mean, I'm glad that they're they're returning those elements now. The other thing I want to point out is that Spider-Man, as we've discussed many times, has one of the greatest rogues gallery in all of superhero comics. Yes, he does. Um, except maybe for Batman. I mean, his I mean, Spider-Man's rogues gallery is tremendous, and I mean, a lot of them are great Ditko concepts. In in the Raimi films, again, I really think he understood. Until the studio meddled in the third one, yeah. the, the that rogues gallery, the goblin minus the costume is spot on. Doctor Octopus is amazing, no pun intended. Oh in the second God, film, yes. yeah. and uh, you know I love the way they portrayed the Sandman in, in the third movie. Uh, that guy is a great actor. What's his name? Thomas. Uh, uh, Thomas. Yeah, Thomas. He was fantastic. And in the new films, I loved Michael Keaton's Vulture. Mm. Yes. I mean, I, he's wonder. He was so menacing, yep. I, and uh, you know, I, I, I hope that I hope they continue that tradition because the villains are just—they're there, like they're—they're they're a fertile, rich field to to to, to, to work in. I Gillen mean, Hall's you Mysterio, just got—you you just got to take him from the page and let and let him go. Because you know Mysterio, Myster- Mysterio, oh, Mysterio was oh, fantastic God, yes. too. Oh, okay. Sorry, you got yeah, to my apologies. 
I'm sure Annette didn't go any further. My apologies. I, totally I think forgot. those are the best part of uh, yeah. these two movies. Yeah. So let's see more of those villains. Come on. Now, Great stuff. Uh, do, do you want to – well, uh, I guess it's another conversation. There. No, no. Um, ask, me, ask me. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, do you want to see a Sinister Six or do you think it's better just to kind of keep um, a villain or two – well, they seem to be—they seem to be implying that in the teaser scene at the end of uh, the first Spider-Man movie with Holland, when he meet, when he meets the Scorpion in, in prison. I, I think uh. I, I think that uh, if Sony gets their way, they will get Sinister Six. I'm not sure if that's going to be a good idea or not, but uh, I, I think I think we might be heading there. I almost think think what they should. I you see if they in the third one, I would not want to have a Sinister Six or a fifth one. I would not want to have. I think what I'd rather prefer is build them up in the Spider-Man movies, and then have a Sinister Six movie that Spider-Man's in, because I don't want to. Je- and then kind of have that movie more like a, a villain movie, mm. where you're, you, you know, uh, kind of like the, the a reversal. So almost like a, a Suicide Squad type of thing, where the movies focus on the villains, that the hero comes in, but they were kind of built up a little bit in the in the, in the hero movie, so that you don't have to spend as much time dwelling on you know the main spider the peter parker story with the villains involved so that, that's what i would do if i had any say which i don't but yeah. <laughs> i would absolutely go to see that movie matt yep me too well uh we, we may we may get there so who, so who the heck knows <laughs> uh i mean I, I i would love to have seen you know what raimi wanted to do with spider-man 3 you know before before you know he was always in the dark in the in the in the light until he uh he tap danced into the darkness in spider-man 3 um <laughs> and, and did you watch did you listen to the commentary for the movie uh no i uh, spider-man I 3 i haven't it's worth it uh toby mcguire's not there but james franco basically uh, sam raimi's there uh, james franco basically tells you everything that that was supposed to happen not everything but he tells you stuff where Raimi's silent like you know this is what sam wanted to do but wow. then the studio eh, like he was he was almost all but coming out basically burning bridges with with, with the third one <laughs> well uh, like, so it, so it was great it's a good thing it's a good thing topher grace wasn't there because he would have been like like well, like oh oh um, i'm i'm walking away <laughs> well he he was there as well oh he, he was because he kind of they had him give kind of the background of of um a venom and okay. i remember when he was initially cast before i think they really said they were doing venom i remember uh, you know unfortunately i'm gonna have to you know keep name drop and kevin and i had a conversation about how they should make him the chameleon because he's kind of got a toby mcguire thing going that you could almost play that aspect up and yeah. then when we found out it was venom it was like oh man not venom even though they originally <laughs> want him in the first movie yeah i think the studio and they were able to, to fight that off but yeah well, they, and they, Ben Kingsley was signed to be the Vulture. Yes, he was. Yep. Wow. Yeah, he was going to be the Vulture wow. in the fourth one. Uh, and uh, to- Topher Grace was one of the ones they originally wanted to play Spider-Man as well. Uh, that was that was uh, there was talks. I think uh, what was it? I think either Frankie Muniz or Topher Grace Ooh. were also in the uh, in the casting suggestions uh, mm. before, before they before Topher they Grace could have worked pretty well I think uh, Frankie Muniz I'm not so sure yeah that would have been a kids movie and I, I, don't, I don't think that would have been right for the time definitely not um, you, you guys uh, I want to go through the cameos real quick uh, before, sure. before we uh, before we conclude here obviously Stanley uh, you know, of course, starting off as uh, his uh, his cameos in the in in the uh, in the Marvel movies and what have you. Um, Nicholas Hammond was a cameo as well. Ooh. Oh, I, I didn't realize that. I didn't know that. At all. Nick, Nick ha- yeah, Nicholas Hammond was was one of the uh, 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 people at the World Unity Festival. You see him in a in a quick glance. 
uh, but uh, but he is there. Uh, so he he uh, makes a guest appearance there. Lucy Lawless Ooh, that. cameos yeah. as a as a punk girl. Jim uh, Norton. Yep, Jim Norton we... uh, cameos uh, in the movie as well. Correct, and of course Bruce Campbell playing uh, not exactly a cameo, but uh, but you know being the uh, the announcer in the in yes. the wrestling match. So. I I tell you what, there's there's been a lot of talk about getting Tobey Maguire to be in one of the new Spider-Man movies. How cool would it be to have Nicholas Hammond as Uncle Ben? Oh, because wow. he would be kind oh, of yeah. the same age range. Could work. Closer than uh, yeah. Toby would. I, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah. It. Uh, I mean, it, it all depends on uh, on whether or not they're willing to cast them. But that that would be pretty cool, yeah. actually. The uh, I I know we, we talked about kind of one of the scenes or another scene that that kind of got to me, and I thought you know this scene this was perfect. This this it was exactly like what I when I read Spider-Man, I think of is at the, the funeral where, uh, Mary Jane's basically confessing, Hey, I, lo- I love you and all this. And Peter so much wants to say that he loves her as well. And just like, I'll always be your friend <laughs> type of thing. And then, and then he walks off and he has that, uh, soliloquy about, uh, you know, what his destiny is and stuff like that. And I thought that's perfect. He has, he, he could easily have the light start to have the life that he wanted but he has this responsibility that that just has the trumpet great power comes great responsibility right and it goes into that nice montage of him swinging through the the city but yeah um, that was another that was another moment that i was like this 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 is exactly like how i read him in the comics i i need to i need to bring up uh one one of my uh because it it wouldn't be me talking about a movie set in new york without at least one of my new york pet peeves coming up uh and that would be uh peter telling uh, uh uncle ben that he wants to go to the downtown library and and they wind up at the midtown library in manhattan um and they're in queens when he says that so they're not going downtown they're going to another borough (laughs) <laughs> and, and 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 the they're very much going to you know the most famous library in all of new york city which is smack dab right there in the middle of midtown so i don't know what the heck he's talking about when he's saying downtown i love when ian gives us his real world new yorker's guide to the marvel universe that's my story and i'm sticking to it shall we uh do our freaking swears gentlemen um well before we conclude uh there, there were a couple of uh, sort of uh, overarching points uh, well not well topics i wanted to introduce sure please uh, first of all, uh, thoughts on the music. I I really enjoy it. I, I think me too. I think uh, the it's, score, it's, yeah, or the soundtrack, both. Okay. Uh, the score, great. Uh, the music, uh, I hate that hero song. <laughs> I love that hero song. I always did hate it. Yeah, and then of course, give it up for Macy Gray. <laughs> <laughs> yes. One of the ways in which the movie doesn't age so well. You know, well, well, hey, what? She's a Sony recording artist, so of course she's going to show mm-hmm. up. Yep, that surprises me not even a little bit. <laughs> uh, and, and then, yeah, well, to Matt's thing about the score, um, I actually wasn't, even at the time, I wasn't that big a fan of uh, Danny Elfman's opening theme. Because to me, it just kind of felt like he was recycling bits of other things that he'd already written mm-hmm. and tossing. That's, that's what he does. Yeah, so it's uh, oh, there's a little bit of uh, of, of a Philip from Batman. Oh, there's something from Men in Black. Oh, there's something from that Planet of the Apes remake they did the the year oh, before. Oh God, please don't remind me. Oh, jeez, <laughs> Louise. Sorry, Bert. Well, I've I've pretty much said my piece there. I mean, it's not Danny Elfman's best work. I I do want to quick ask before we you know we start wrapping up. In Far From Home, when he's swaying through the city with Michelle at the end. 
didn't he go over swing? Didn't they swing over that uh, that uh, garden that they landed on in this one? I thought there was a couple scenes. I was like, wait a minute, or maybe it wasn't the first one. I, I could have sworn between uh, Homecoming and this one. There was a couple shots that seemed he was swung through the city in places that he had swung through in this movie. Uh, yeah, no, def- definitely, and if, I actually pointed that out in our uh, in our Far From Home review, uh, that one of the okay. places I, that, okay. th- that Holland swings through is uh, the uh, the Osborne uh, penthouse, uh, so that is the same building. Well, I thought, I remember you said about that one, I thought it was something, that there was a different setting that was similar as uh, well. It's possible but, that they also sw- swung by that uh, that garden, because that, uh, that does exist in, uh, you know, in uh, in real world, so... Okay. No, tr- no trampoline to to jump off of though in the real world. Because <laughs> that, that was yeah. one of the things that always stuck out to me from the first time I saw it. Is not that he's I obviously of. jumping off of a trampoline and she has to walk around it to get to the edge to look at him as he's swinging off. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Merv, what about other concepts you want to bring up? Uh, oh, thank you, Chris. Um, the the other thing was. Uh, in my opening remarks, I mentioned that this was an interesting little time capsule find uh, for a couple of reasons, one of which being you know, it, it being a point in the developmental history of superhero movies. Um, it was kind of developing in tone past what had dominated in the 90s and moving towards what we have now. Uh, it's also significant uh, as a very early example of a post-9-11 popular film. Um, and, and this ties into that uh, early trailer that Matt mentioned um, quite some time ago. And for those of you listening who aren't aware, uh, the reason that trailer was pulled was because it heavily featured uh, Spider-Man uh, spinning a web between the two towers of the World Trade Center. And then the uh, September 11th attacks occurred, and uh, that, that that trailer was very quickly pulled. Um, but you can kind of uh, – they, they were tapping pretty heavily into the post-9-11, the early post-9-11 zeitgeist uh, at a couple of spots near the end of the movie. And I'm thinking of that scene where uh, Spider-Man and Green Goblin are fighting around that bridge. Which bridge was it, Ian? Uh, I, I, you know what? Uh, I believe that that's the 59th Street Bridge, if memory serves, because it has the it has the tram going going to uh, going to Roosevelt Island. Um, so let me look that up to, to double check, but I believe I'm right on that. Hmm? Whatever you tell us, Ian, we will gladly believe. But anyway, uh, it's the part where uh, uh, the Green Goblin suddenly is struck on the head with a foreign object, and he looks up and he sees that there's a whole mob of unite of uh, un- New Yorkers united in purpose and solidarity and home you homeland. Mess with and- you mess with all of us, right? You mess with what? You mess with Spider. You mess with New York. You mess with one of us. You mess with all of us. You know, it's kind of spreading that post nine eleven marmalade a bit thick. If you know what I mean. Technically, Norman's a New Yorker too, so it's well. That's a fair point. Essentially, too. a feuding with each other. That's the Queensboro <laughs> Bridge, by the way, Mur. Just for, for uh, just for full reference there. So yeah, that 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 actually makes it makes sense considering Spider-Man's from Queens. But uh, yeah, they they chose a different bridge in the comics, at least. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Ian. But yeah, that that's a scene that probably would not have been added to the final cut if were it not for. You know, the, the current state of national sentiment in the fall following those attacks. And then the very last image of the movie is Spider-Man uh, jumping up to the top of, I guess it was the Empire State Building, and uh, crouching again on the pole holding a gigantic American flag before leaping out at the viewer and we go to the credits. So, they did yes. that in the sequel. I can't remember if they did that in the third one. I think the third one just ends with them dancing or holding hands. Well, the third one ha- 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 ends with him holding his ha- up his hand to Mary Jane. Yeah. Yeah. 
And but it, was there an American flag scene in, in the third? I know in the second one there was. I, I right don't here. I don't know if there there may have been. There may have been. I'm not sure if it was the very last scene, but there was there. I think there might have been an American flag there near the end. After the first half of the third one, I try to block out the, the remaining half of that movie. Hey, hey, hey. If you do that, then you block out. How was the pie, sir? So good. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I said. An exact halfway point. I marked it off. The exact halfway point, it starts to suck. Uh, but one thing I think Murray made a very good point about the use of the flag imagery, and I, I understand why they did that at that time, of course. But when you think about Spider-Man, the character, I never think about patriotism when I think about Spider-Man because <laughs> Spider-Man is one of the most – one of the strongest critical thinkers in the Marvel Universe, and he's someone who always questions authority in, 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 a, in a wide variety of contexts. So – Spidey to me, or slash Peter Parker, is is the, always like the guy who's like going to go. Wait a minute, what's should we be doing this? Is that we should we should be following? Is this policy right? Like that, yeah. You know, I, I remember Lee would have him question the Vietnam War in his head in certain little scenes in the Silver Age and and things like that. So didn't they have him in the nine eleven tribute issue? Oh, oh, he, was, was I mean, he, only... he was the driving character in in, in that tribute. Yeah, was, was, that yeah. The, was that the only comic they put out to correlate with that? Uh, Just no, the Spider-Man one? There was also a Captain America comic that very heavily touched on that. That was the beginning of his new uh, of his new series at that time yes. with Cassidy yep. on art. Yep. John Eber the... wrote it, I believe. Yep. Is that the one that the issue ends with him unmasking himself and saying, I, I did this, I'm, I'm Steve, like, uh, Steve Rogers? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Yep. Alrighty. Uh, Murda, any, any, anything else you wanted to add? Uh, no, sir. Thank you for indulging me those last couple of points. Oh, my pleasure as always. My pleasure always. as always. Well, let's, uh, let's get our freaking sweeters out there. Uh, Chris? Uh, it's held up very well for me. Four and a half out of five. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give it three and a half freaking sweeters out of five. Uh, I think that, uh, it's, I respect this movie, uh, for what it is. And I think that with better dialogue and uh, some better special effects, it would hold up much more for me. Uh, but uh, there's still tons to love in this movie. Um, and I'm very glad that it existed uh, because, you know, as I've said before, and I'll continue to say, without these movies laying the groundwork, uh, we would have never gotten the movies that we have right now. Oh, absolutely. So 100% appreciate it for that. Uh, Matt? I'm not going to bullshit anyone. Nostalgia purposes, uh, it's a five. <laughs> Five freaking swears and thwips out of five. <laughs> yep. Because of Nastasia. So, nice. for the character. And Murd? Uh, somehow I knew in the end we would end up having exactly the same ratings here, Ian, but it's it's a solid 3.5 for me as well. I mean, it's, it, it did some good things for the advancement of superhero cinema, but the screenplay is a definite liability. It left room for improvement, and I do think Spider-Man 2 went the extra mile. Yeah, that that extra point five for me actually comes from that uh, subway busker singing his uh, his Spider Man. <laughs> I think, I think that that well, was... isn't that Scott? Uh, that's somebody too. Uh, is that that's it's somebody? Scott Buscemi. <laughs> I think it's Scott Buscemi's in that. I uh, don't know. Don't know the name, but uh, is, is that is that? I did it? look it up, but it was not anybody Buscemi. It was or Buscemi. Okay. I don't remember who it was, but it was not that. It, it wouldn't surprise me if it's one of Raimi's players, though, because that uh, that seems to be, you know, uh, the type of role that that would fill. So, all right. Very good, gentlemen. I think another successful uh, retro movie review. Amen. Yep. 
And here's hoping that uh, the next Spider-Man movie uh, doesn't suck. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> On that we can all agree. Yes, indeed. And stay tuned for our next retro movie review, which has already been selected. It will feature 100% more Shane Kelly. Yes, uh, it yes. will. Once we have him on board, we will make that happen, and uh, it will also be somewhat relevant uh, to the goings-on of today's world. So, Murd, uh, you ready to roll us out? No! <laughs> forgetting that uh, I have to be Shane when Shane is not here. That's why I asked. Um, All right, all right, all right. Uh, go ahead and roll them. Okay. If you'd like to send us an email, the address is comicgeekspeak at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a voicemail, you can call 267-702-6642. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at comicgeekspeak. You can visit our forums at thecomicforums.vanillacommunity.com to respond to this episode and our thoughts on that groundbreaking first Spider-Man movie uh, directed by Sam Raimi, or also to engage in conversations with us and our your fellow listeners on other topics relating to the show and otherwise. We'd like to thank any of you out there who may have donated monetarily to the show recently or in the further past. We really appreciate it, and the show would not be what it is today without your assistance. And as always, we are uniting the world's mightiest heroes, one listener at a time. Ha, ha, ha.